Thanks for being here this morning. As you see, it's sunny outside, so we know we're going into the summer season here at Outward Church, which is great. We're so glad that you are uh, still attending and still a Christian, and so that's um, super cool. Um, but uh, in, in any case, um, just a couple of things for you uh, real quick, if I even brought them. I did. I did. Perfect. Yeah. Um, this coming Saturday, we have the Relate Conference, which is happening. It's not just for married people. It's for all kinds of people. We've got quite a few people signed up already, and so we want to encourage you to be a part of that, encourage you to be a part of the, the, the Relate Conference. It's $20 per person, and what you do is you need to do this soon so that we can get your, your, uh, your test results back and have those for you when you arrive here on Saturday morning. The conference is from 9 to 3 on Saturday. Saturday there will be uh, some coffee, uh, po- possibly, I think, some, some pastries as well. Um, but uh, in the morning, and then we'll be having uh, some sessions that happen there from uh, my buddy Tim Frazier, who, who does this kind of professionally on the side from his job as a pastor down in um, Las Vegas. And so uh, that'll be happening. And uh, so if you can get childcare, get childcare for your kids at home because it's a long stint on Saturday. Um, but we will have that available here if if it's absolutely necessary, and so we want to encourage you uh, to do, the, do that. And then we'll also have tacos for lunch, because that is Cinco de Mayo. Uh, what else would we do? And so want to encourage you to be a part of that. This is really going to help. Some of you are having, like, issues in your marriage, and this is going to help you understand this, this being that you are connected to and figure out what is wrong with them um, and really what was wrong with you as well. And so that's going to be helpful. And so just so you know, I mean, uh, this type of personality test does not say this is exactly who you are. It, they are some indicators, and Tim Frazier will do a great job of connecting the gospel to that and how we learn through that. So wanted you to be a part of that uh, with us this, uh, this coming uh, Saturday. So sign up right away, and, uh, and then um, we'll be able to get your test results ready for you on Saturday morning. And then right after service, we're going to need some help moving some pews. So um, you could help with that if you're, if you're somebody who's muscular. So uh, we're in uh, Philippians chapter 3. If you turn there with me, uh, Philippians chapter 3. Last, last week we took a break. We talked about finances um, a little bit. So if you weren't here, maybe you're just kind of relieved because you, you didn't have to sit through that. But I just want to encourage you, uh, if you, especially if you're a part of the church, to go back and listen to that sermon if you weren't here because I believe that it is one of the key things that we need in our lives as Christians is to deal with our money appropriately um, as stewards of our money. But this week we're back in Philippians. And so we've been talking through the book of Philippians for some time now. And we've, we called it Think. And the reason why we called it Think is because this word phreneo is repeated several times throughout uh, the book of uh, Philippians. And, and it really just means I, I want you to think differently. I want you to, I want you to change your mind in the way that you're operating so many of us are so, uh, we've been in the church for so long that we just have this pattern of thinking that really is not helpful. And really what's going to be happening in this passage is very much kind of the same problem, is that there's some people that have been a part of the church for a long time, that have been in religion for a long time, and they have a skewed view of what it looks like uh, to be a Christian. And so the Apostle Paul is going to be correcting that. And coincidentally, there's lots of correction all throughout Paul's letters. 
which are really dealing with, like, here is what those people are saying. Here's what the reality is. We learn better when we understand the juxtaposition that we're in, when we understand the, the issues that we have in front of us, and like, should I believe this way or should I believe that way? And that's what Paul is speaking about here. So let me read through the passage. It's going to be verses 1 through 11, and, uh, and then we'll come back to the top. He says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for those dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason uh, for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. It's a long passage. I don't know that I'll get through the whole thing today. But I want to go through it in detail because I think that this is absolutely critical for how we operate as God's people. It's absolutely critical because there are other religions that claim to be Christian, that use a, a, a similar Bible, that have changed words, changed ideas, and things like that, that assert what these people, the people that Paul is speaking against, the Judaizers, teach. So he's, he's pushing back against this same kind of thing that we deal with on a regular basis, which is this, this malignment, this, this, uh, this changing of what it really means to be a Christian. It's these religions that diminish who Jesus is. It's a religion that says, I believe that Jesus was a good guy. I just don't believe that he was God. I believe that he was a nice person, that he was a good teacher. I just don't believe uh, these things. Or my Bible, the Bible that my religion has created uh, says about him. And so why would they do that? Why would they say this? Why would they diminish? Why pick on Jesus? Why pick on him? Why, why diminish who Jesus is in your religion? Well, it's because he is the critical component. It's not because he's the first person of the Trinity. He's the second person of the Trinity as we understand it, which means that it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit living in submission to one another, but primarily in submission to uh, the, the Father and doing so willingly. But here's the problem, is that we diminish who Jesus is, and as a result, what takes place is that we lose the whole thing. When you diminish who Jesus is, when you reduce him, 
then you lose the whole thing. Now, what these people, these Judaizers, were claiming is that circumcision must be a part of your religion. Now, for some of you who are not familiar with church, you may be thinking, like, wow, this is incredibly weird to be talking about this right now. And I, every time I read through it, I'm always thinking to myself, what if somebody came to our church who's not really familiar with church and, and he's reading about circumcision? What a weird thing to do. I remember driving home, uh, this is quite a while ago, and there were some people like on the median here in front of the park, and they, were, they had signs up, and they were protesting against circumcision. And I was like, yeah, get those Judaizers. Like They were totally... Uh, they were totally against this, like, don't do circumcision. And I just was like, man, are there better things to do with our time and talk about this? Like, this is just weird. Like, okay, all right, whatever. And so, but these Judaizers, these are people that came out of Old Testament religion. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, there's two Testaments. There's the Old Testament, and then there's the New Testament. And you could really call them the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. This is, in some senses, this is the old way that God dealt with his people. The New Testament comes when Jesus comes, and as a result, it's a new covenant. It's a, a new way that God deals with his people. So the Old Covenant dealt with things like ceremonial uh, clean laws and things like that. And there was like, some, some, like 600 rules and regulations and things along those lines. When Jesus comes, he wipes out the ceremonial clean laws. And as a result, those things are no longer a part of that. And as a result, circumcision is no longer just a sign of a, a Jew. In fact, circumcision is, is nothing really in New Testament times. But these people who were really ingrained in this Jewish religion and who were very well-intentioned were very connected with this idea that I must be circumcised in order to be a Christian. I, I, must, I must do that specific thing, and I'm trying not to point at anything right now. I'm like, um, so it, it, like, I must do that. This is totally distracting. I totally did not plan this. But I must do this certain thing in order to be found to be right with God. I must keep these laws. I must keep these rules. And these people were infiltrating the church. They were getting into the church and they were coming and they were, they were disrupting what was happening. They were disrupting this new covenant understanding of what's happening uh, in the gospel. They're, they're totally disrupting this. And so the apostle Paul is pushing back on this. And so he says in verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, finally, my brothers rejoice in the Lord. Now, what's interesting about this as well is that he says finally, and then he's get you know, this is the beginning of the uh, second to the last chapter, and then you have one more chapter after that. So Paul kind of keeps going just like any old preacher. He just continues on here. And so he says, finally, my brothers Rejoice in the Lord. And then he says, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. So two things he says there. He says, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. And by the way, I'm going to tell you the same things that I've been telling you. So he's already told them to rejoice, to have joy in Christ. He's already communicated that to them. And perhaps while he was meeting with them and while he was spending time with them, he had communicated to these people about these Judaizers. And so may, perhaps he's reminding them of this. But what we do know is this, is that flowing from this idea of rejoicing in the Lord comes this entire passage right here. Because what, what I believe he's communicating here 
is he's saying, where do you find your real sustenance? Where do you find what really makes you tick? Where do you find the, 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 whole, the, the whole thing that's propelling your life? What gets you up in the morning? What allows you to feel like you're functioning? For me, oftentimes, when I'm kind of in a funk, I'm thinking to myself, like, I just don't have anything that I'm looking forward to right now, like right in this minute. I don't have a project that I'm working on. I'm like, I'm, I'm not really feeling like this. I'm, I'm, and in some senses of the word, what's happening to me is that I lack joy in that moment. I lack this, this thing that's propelling me out of bed sometimes. I lack this idea that's causing me to move and live my life. See, the, the fundamental thing with Christians today is that we don't get the idea that our, our, our real purpose in life, that our, the real thing that should be driving us is this joy in the Lord, this sustenance in Him. This idea that this is what is propelling us. It's what's causing us to live our lives. It's what's allowing us to go through life and to live and to deal with disappointment and to deal with tragedy and to, and to deal with even the good things that happen to us and say, my joy is not fulfilled in the large paycheck. My joy is not fulfilled in the things that I have. My joy is in the Lord. This is something that goes all throughout Scripture. We can talk about Scripture after Scripture. It's in there. But he's talking about the idea that we must be rejoicing in the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord. So what's the opposite of that? Well, we'll get to that in a second. But the second thing he says that's really interesting in this verse, first verse is, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. To, to, to write the same things, to talk about this, this over and over again, it, it's, it's, it's not a problem for me. And by the way, it's safe for you. What, do I, what I think he's talking about here is I believe what he is saying is I need to tell you this over and over again so that you don't forget. I need to tell you this, this one specific thing so that you do not forget where you've come from. So that you do not forget what it's like in your Christian life. In fact, he says it, it's more than just kind of, just so you remember, hey, keep this in mind, that kind of a thing. No, it's like, no, it's safe for you, which implies this, that there is danger. There's a danger in not being reminded that my joy is, is in the Lord and not in anything else. Because the reality is, is that there are many, many people who are going to come to the final judgment with Christ, which, by the way, is a reality. They're going to come to the final judgment, and they're going to get there, and, they're, and, and they are going to say, hey, Lord, look at all the things that I did for you. Look at all the ways that I was, I was doing this thing. And it says in Matthew that Jesus is going to say to some of those people, depart from me, I never knew you. And the reason will be because there was never real, true belief. There was never true joy in Christ. What really propelled them in life was not Christ. Religion was window dressing. Religion was just something that they were brought up in. Religion was something that they were a part of. 
It was not real. And so Paul says, it is safe for you. It's safe for you, for me, to remind you of what's going on in the, re, in the, the grand scheme of things. It is safe for you. What else does it denote to us? This danger. The danger is this, is that hell is real. The danger is this, is that there is one exclusive way to get to God. The danger is found in believing the wrong thing. See, Christianity is 100% exclusive. There is no other way to God. There are no multiple roads to God. There are not people in other religions who are getting to God without Jesus. There's, there's no possible way. The only way to God is through Jesus. The danger is this, is that we can be duped into thinking that somehow the standard that I've set for myself, the way that I've chosen to operate, how I live my life, that this is the standard. I make my own standards. You'll find this in some churches which call themselves progressives. They're oftentimes taking the Bible and they pick and choose the things that they want. They find a commentator, somebody who is writing absolute fiction about the Bible because they do not compare what they're saying to what the Bible actually says. By the way, the measure of what you say must be measured against what the Scriptures say. And so they take their time to walk through and try to diminish what the Apostle Paul says, to try to diminish the exclusivity of Christ. And they, and they continually make people comfortable on the road to hell. Do you know, are you aware, that if you do not have Jesus Christ as your Savior, if He is not the fundamental joy in your life, that you are not with God, nor are you going to be with God. You do not have relationship with God. You say, well, I grew up this way. I, grew, I, I did this. I did that. You do not have relationship with God because you do not see what Paul's going to say here. You are in danger, my friend. You are in danger. You do not know the God of the Bible. You do not know the way of salvation. You don't understand. Perhaps you've been looking at the scriptures. Perhaps you've been listening to people preach occasionally that have told you lies and you've believed them. Read the scriptures and see the truth. Look to someone somewhere who allows the scriptures to correct them, not the other way around. It is safe for you. What's safe? Well, he starts out here in verse 2. Look out for those dogs. Look out for those evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Stop right there for a second. This, this statement right here, is, it is pretty astounding. Because you don't see this oftentimes in uh, oh, modern Christianity all that much. I, I suppose you can find whatever you want in Christianity or at least the... the you know, some type of Christianity online. But what he says here is he, he says, I want you to look out for these Judaizers. I want you to look out for these people who are dogs. Now, what's the deal with these dogs? Dogs, 
to a Jew is uh, they are, I should say, uh, anybody who is not a Jew, who's not a religious Jew, and so everyone else. So a Gentile would have been called a dog. Now, it wasn't necessarily an insult, but what it was saying is that these people are ritually unclean because they're not circumcised. They don't have the sign of God's covenant that God gave to Abraham and carried on. So they're dogs in that sense. So they're ritually unclean, and therefore they don't belong. The second thing is that he says that they are evildoers. He calls these people, they are legalistic. They dot every I, cross every T. They're people, they don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't swear, they don't go to rated R movies. They listen to Caleb all day long, which I can't understand, but they, 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 they only watch Christian movies. They, you know, whatever. They, they are seriously concerned with all of the external appearances of religion. They're concerned with how they come across. And that's the only thing. And what's so funny about that is that Paul is turning this on them. He's saying, no, you are the dogs. You're the ones who are taking this ritual and you're bringing it into the present day. And in and through that, you are the dog. You are the evildoer. You are those who mutilate the flesh. He says, I'm not even going to use you by your name that you want to call yourself all the time, which is the circumcision. They called themselves the circumcision. Paul is speaking against the circumcision, the Judaizers, repeatedly. In Galatians and Romans, he's fighting back against some, some other things and other places as well. So Paul is saying, you are not people who are the circumcision, you're the mutilators. What's also interesting about this, and this is kind of more of a fun fact, but uh, all three of these words begin with a K in the Greek. They all begin with a K, and so it's alliterated, perfect preaching uh, technique here. And then the last one, that mutilate, sounds like circumcision if you put a K, or it, it sounds like, cir circumcision sounds like mutilate if you put a K at the beginning of it. That's what I should say. So he starts every word with a K. He says, look out for these people. Look out for those folks that claim this Christianity, that claim this religion. They have these perfect lives. Everything's neat and tidy and ordered. Think about this for a second. There are people in other religions. I have really, really good friends who are in other religions. I love them intensely. I seriously love them. And yet, the same could be said of them, which is hard because I'm on video and on podcast and they never watch this. Um, but uh, it's just horrible because they need to come to Jesus. But um, uh, no, but... Paul is really serious. He's saying these are the dogs. These are the evildoers. These are the people that mutilate the flesh. They feel like they need to do in order to be God's people. Paul fights back against that. And he says, for we are the circumcision. Who's we? It's the people who believe the gospel. We, you, you guys are not the circumcision. You don't understand what circumcision meant in the first place. You don't know what that, what that means, what that looks like. We're the people that are carrying this out. We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. 
Stop right there for a second. He says, you people are not responding correctly to the gospel. The gospel is, is ultimately this. When it comes to someone, the definition of someone who is a Christian is somebody who first is worshiping, not just in and of themselves, but they're worshiping by the Spirit of God. They are somebody who is concerned with worshiping God. They're worshiping Him, and there is something inside of them, it is the Spirit of God, that drives them to worship God. There's something inside of them that causes them to want to be with Him, to want to be a part of Him, to want to be ingrained in His people, to want to be somebody who's pouring out their heart, not just in song, but as we spoke last week, it's also through our finances. When we look at our finances and say, how dare you look at my finances, how dare you talk to me about uh, uh, my finances, the thing that you're saying is you're saying, I refuse to be a disciple wholeheartedly. I refuse to worship in every area of my life. I refuse to be somebody who's going to walk with Jesus in every area. Like we're cool with the idea of being a Christian sexually. Most of us are, at least externally. But when it comes to that, we're not concerned about that. Are we worshipers? Are we people who are worshiping God by the power of the Spirit? There is something inside of us that is driving us to worship Him. Let me tell you some signs what that looks like. It, it does look like where your finances go. You can say, I love worship music. But when it's not happening in other areas of your life, money, sex, and power, when it's not happening in the daily events of your life, and yet you love <coughs> worship music, that those two things don't compute. Those two things don't go along with each other. It's like you may like the style of music. You may enjoy the band. But when those things aren't taking place, what you're not doing is you're not somebody who is worshiping. What you sh show is that what's, what's not taking place, what hasn't happened in your life, is circumcision of the heart, the scripture says elsewhere. Circumcision isn't like this external body thing. That was just a sign in the Old Testament. What it was really pointing to is that this is a sign of what's really taken place in my heart. What's really happened in me is that I want to be identified with God. I want to be with Him. I want to be a part of Him. But when we refuse to walk in obedience to God in all areas of life, well, that shows that we are not worshiping Him. And so therefore, something hasn't taken place inside of us. He says, for we are the, uh, the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus. So we are these people who not only are we worshiping in the power of the Spirit to honor God with our lives, to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Not only is that taking place, but our glory, when we, when we are glorying when, when we are 
boasting, that word also means in Christ Jesus. This is also something that is amazing. It's amazing because these are, this is what I boast in. I boast in Christ Jesus. I boast in who he is. I boast in what he's done. The Christian person is somebody who looks to Jesus and says, like, I have to have him. It's not somebody who says, I'm cool with God. I like Jesus. I just don't think he's God. It's not somebody who says, you know, I've been in church all my life. Or I've always kind of had this kind of connection with with God and it's just kind of continued all this time. That's not what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian is somebody who is worshiping God in the power of the Holy Spirit because you have the Holy Spirit. And that's leading you to glory, to boast in Christ Jesus. And this will become clearer in just a second, to boast in him. It was uh, take your kid to work day uh, this last, was it Thursday? Which is also known as don't get anything done day uh, at work. And so, and if you, if you can imagine, like, my work is, is very much involved with whether it's counseling people. But if I was counseling you, like, it'd be weird to have my kids there and be like, tell me about your deepest, darkest sins. You know, like, <laughs> that'd be, that would be awkward, right? Uh, so we'd, we went to the sermon prep thing, and many of you will be thankful. But um, in any case, so I was, I, I was like, well, let's, let's read the passage. I, I actually didn't know it was take your kid to work day until, like, that morning. And then I was like, oh, crud, what am I going to do? So now I've got this, this intense Bible passage that I've got to, like, you know, roll out with them. And so I, the only thing I, I could think of as I was saying, like, what is glory? How could we glory in Christ? And so it was on the whiteboard, and I was, like, you know, doing little rays of, like, glory in this. But it's so hard to see. It's so hard to understand unless you see kind of the other side of it, which is the opposite, and that is putting confidence in the flesh. Confidence in the flesh. And let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. Every single one of us in this room struggles with this big time. We struggle with this big time. He says, and glory in Christ Jesus and Put no confidence in the flesh. He said the opposite of glorying in Christ is confidence in self. Do you know how backwards that is today? How many of us have put a meme up? Don't raise your hand, but how many of us have put a, a meme up? If you're on Facebook, anybody here, it's for old people now, but um, um, I guess it's Instagram or Twitter or whatever. I don't care anymore. I'm getting away from social media more and more all the time. My wife would be happy about that, but uh, I uh, put up a meme that is all about my self-confidence. And I'm not saying that we should not be confident, but the Christian person has got to know where that confidence comes from. And the false teachers of our day will teach you things, will tell you things about how you can be confident in self. If you're a Bible teacher and you're teaching people how to be confident in self, it's, it's just, it's lies. It's flat out lies. It's leading people away from the gospel. It's leading people away from the truth. You are sending people to hell if that's, if that's, if that's where you're at. And so what he says is he's, he's, he's going to go into a story about himself. And let me, let me give you my, my testimony. He says, though I myself have reasons for confidence in the flesh, though I have reasons to boast in myself. 
If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in himself, in his flesh, I have more. So he's talking to these Judaizers. He's talking to these legalistic people. He's talking to these church people that think that they're all that in a bag of chips. He's talking to these people that think that they're better than everybody else because of what they do. And he says this, circumcised on the eighth day. That is quite a brag right there, right? When were you circumcised? Oh, yeah? Eighth day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Just, we just don't do that anymore, right? It's just kind of falling out of favor, right? Um, what's that mean? I'm above the rest in this area of my life. It means he's been in church since he was a fetus, right? This guy has been around religion for some time since he was a baby. Like he's been in it. He was born in a Christian home, we'd say today. He was born in a Jewish home. He's born in a, in a Christian home. He, I mean, it's like he came up in religion. He lives, eats, and breathes religion. Doing good things. Liking the idea of God. And what is he saying to us? He's saying, you could use the idea that you were born into a Christian home. That you were born into religion. However you would say that. I've always liked God. Something like that. You could use that as confidence in the flesh. You could use it as something that would say, like, yeah, I'm okay with God. Because I've always been around this. I've always been in it. How disruptive is that to you? Did you grow up in a Christian home? Has anyone ever told you that you may not be believing rightly? Like you've never had relationship with God because it's been completely based on the fact that you were raised in a Christian home. But never has there been faith that's been imported into your life. It's all about, it's been all about confidence in the flesh. That is confidence in the flesh. It is outside of completely confidence in Christ. It's, it's where he was born. It's, it's how he was raised. He said, I was of the people of Israel. He's above everybody with the right nationality. He's a, a white Christian American raised in the church. He's a part of this people group. So maybe you're somebody who says, you know, I was born in America. Of, of course I'm a Christian. It's a Christian nation, isn't it? I was, I was born somewhere that is a Christian nation. And so I, I, I'm, I'm in this. He's taking pride in his nationality, in his heritage in this. How many of us, how many of us have lost sight of what it means to truly glory in Christ when we're glorying in the country that we've been raised in? He says, of the tribe of Benjamin. It's prestigious on some levels. We could go into details. I'm not going to right now. He's above the rest because these are my people. I'm a part of these people. We've never walked away from God in that way. This is, it's, it goes back years and years. My grandfather was this. My, you know, my grandmother was that. My great uncle. All of these people were involved. I'm a part of that family. I'm a part of that tribe. I'm a part of that group. That's what makes me a part of this thing. This is who I am. He says, uh, a Hebrew of Hebrews. This speaks to kind of the way that he was trained. 
the way that he was involved in Jewish life. And he's, he's basically saying, it was ingrained in me. In some ways, he, he, he went to the right schools because he was taught Hebrew culture. So he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's, he's, he's essentially saying, I'm above the rest. I had all of these advantage, advantages. I had all of these things. I'm, I'm just ahead. How critical is it that we understand that those are inadequate things to verify that we are believers in Christ? How critical is it for us to see that we are not safe when we have confidence in the flesh? That we are not safe because we went to a Christian school. We're not safe because we were raised in a Christian home. We're not safe just because we're raised in America. We're in great danger. In fact, we're potentially in the greatest danger because we don't see the fact that we're lost. We don't see the fact that we don't know what we're doing. We don't see the fact that we don't really have relationship with God because of all those things. You may be sitting here this morning saying, I didn't have all those advantages. I wasn't raised in the church. I didn't go to Christian school. I don't know much, and so I, I cannot figure out how to get with this God thing. Let me just tell you, you might be miles ahead of many people in this room. You may be better off. How many times I had wished I had not learned so, all of the religious things of God as a young man. Why? Because I could not figure out God. I could not figure out how to have relationship with Him. I could not figure out what it meant to be walking with Him. It's because I've always done this. I just, you know, I just always kind of do the Christian thing externally when my parents were watching, when I was at school, and then I went to public school and all hell broke loose. I was thinking just yesterday, like I used to uh, smoke cigarettes uh, at school, and so I would, um, the way that I hid this from my mother is I would take a deodorant canister, and I would take the pack, of, you know, without the deodorant in there, of course, and then stuff the cigarettes in the deodorant, you know, thing, and then close it, and then carry that with me, thinking, I just got good hygiene, but, but no, it was not good hygiene, uh, I will tell you, though, my mouth smelled fresh. Like, it was like I did not sweat at all from my tongue. But uh, those are disgusting-tasting cigarettes, by the way. I'm not sure that cigarettes tasted good before, but they really did not then. This has nothing to do with the sermon. But uh, I tried to do what was right, and I still couldn't figure out this relationship with God thing couldn't figure that out. He says he, he's above others in stature. Those were the privileges that Paul had, but then he had these voluntary choices. So he's the guy that checked all the boxes. These are the things that I did. I wasn't the wild child. I wasn't the black sheep of the family. I was the person who, as to the law, a Pharisee. He's like, you know what? I joined this sect of people and I, did, I always did what was right. We were so into doing what was right that we had these special robes and we'd walk around town and we would, you know, criticize other people and what they were doing. They were serious legalists. 
They, they made sure that they were right in all of the things that they did. Perhaps for us, that means that we joined the right church. We acted the right way. We, 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 we have the true religion. We have the true, uh, the, the true church that we're a part of. It's the way that we, we can look down on other churches and say, you know what, they don't have it right. They don't have this right. They don't have that right. That's a way of becoming a Pharisee. That's a way of showing that my confidence is in the flesh. My confidence is, is in the things that I'm doing. He says, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He says, I was so serious about this that I would persecute other people in the same way. Putting down other churches, putting down other people, those kinds of things. He hated the right people. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. He's saying, you know what? I thought that I was perfect. I thought that I did everything right. How many of you grew up in the Christian home? How many of you perhaps even went to Christian school or you were always in youth group? You always did what was right. You didn't sleep with anybody. You actually did wait because it was true love and you waited until that, that night that you got married and, and that was the first time that you ever had sex or something like that. Like you did everything right. And yet, in so many ways, you can be so far from God. Why? Because the real measure is not confidence in your flesh. It's not boasting in the things that you did or have done or have been done to you. It is confidence in Christ. But it's not just the religious people that do this. It's our entire world. Our entire world is committed to the idea that they are the measure, they are the, the measure of their own standard of righteousness. Our entire world is, is committed to this idea that I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, because I am the measure of what is right. See, religious people do that well enough. They point their fingers down at those people. But those people are often doing the exact same thing. We all have a problem. It's a self-confidence problem. And what, what, what do I mean by that? It's not having too little. It's having too much. It's having too much confidence. Does that mean that you should put yourself down? It does not. It means something else entirely. Jesus gives us the ability to no longer have confidence in self. Jesus gives us the absolute ability to say, you know, there's another option. There's another way. There's, an, there's another thing that you, that you have totally missed. You know, what is that thing? I'll tell you this briefly. It's just him. It's just Jesus. And I, I, I want to finish up next week because I, I think the rest of this is too good. I'm going to hurry through this if I don't. But it, it's just him. It's just who he is. And so as somebody 
who claims to be a Christian, my question to you is, is Jesus your boast? Or are you your boast? Students, is the right school your boast? Is the fact that you feel like you've been pure your boast? Is the fact that your, your, your business, your job, your employment is accelerating? You're a family man. You take care of your family. Is that your boast? Do you try to help people occasionally? Is that your boast? You try to do more good than bad. Is that your boast? If that is the foundational principle of your Christianity, you are not a Christian because it is not Christ. And it is safe for you that I would warn you that. It is safe for you that you would see that Jesus Christ is the only fundamental foundation and he shows it to you through his life and all of the ways that he lived life and yet he totally went to the cross for you. While you and I are sinning against him thinking that we're so good, thinking that we can come up with our own rules and regulations, thinking that like I'm going to meet the I'm going to meet the measure of who God is by deciding what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do. While we're doing that, he's dying for us. He he puts himself on the cross. He allows himself to be crucified. My boast and your boast cannot be in what we have done. It cannot be. It must be in Christ alone. It has to be him. And so here's why I want to here's how I want to send you into singing today into our worship. I want to invite the band up. I I want you to ask some questions. Is musical worship a chore to you or are you being propelled? Is is your the way that you live your life, the way that you are are chased sexually? Is that a chore to you, or is it an act of worship? You must test yourself. You must look at your life, and you must see what's going on. Do you have any, any glory in Christ? Has Christianity been tacked onto your life in order to cause you to feel like you're doing something right? Or is Christ the fundamental principle of who you are? Because i got to tell you that I can't do this just once. Remember what Paul says? He says, it's no trouble to me to remind you of this. I have to be reminded over and over again, where's my hope right now? Where's my hope? What's it in? Where's your hope? And so we're going into a time of worship, and we worship in 
at least three ways. So we, we, we sing together. But then we also uh, we participate in the Lord's table, which is communion. And it's around the room here. And so I want to ask you to take a few moments and just pray over, over your relationship with God. I, I, I fundamentally, I just, I just want you to ask, do I have a real relationship with God? Is there conviction in my life? No, no, another great question. Am I, am I ticked at this guy for saying what he said? That's another way of, of asking that same question. And then ask God, is that true? Ask God. And then come talk to me afterwards, but talk to God first. Is, 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 is that true? And if it is, confess it. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then go to the Lord's table and, and drink fully of the blood of Christ, what represents the blood of Christ, and, the, and, and eat of the body of Christ and know that we're doing this in remembrance of Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross. The other way that we, that we worship, as I've, I've stated, is that we give. And so now might be a good time for you to worship through giving, through there's several means around here uh, where you could do that. But we want to encourage you towards that because we believe it's absolutely important in your life. And so let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. God, we're asking that you would allow us to see the truth in our own lives. Lord, I, do we have confidence in, in the flesh or do we have confidence in you? So Lord, would you, would you show us that? Would you? Would you allow us to see this in reality? Lord, would you allow the conviction to just purge us of these thoughts of grandeur, of us thinking that we are good enough on our own? Lord, may we look to you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.